0: What's up guys welcome to another episode of true crime society podcast with stephanie and olivia it is on or about august 26th right now depending where you live but that's the date when we're recording this so if anything drastic happens between now and the time we release this and we're not talking about it and you're wondering why that's why there's Mm -hmm. also one thing i want to address and yes i know i'm a fucking idiot who pronounced epitome the way it's spelled Um, some people gave us a message and let me know that I said it wrong also my boyfriend texted me and told me I said it wrong and I know it's something I've done in the past it just doesn't register as like the same word for me like I know epitome is a word but when I see it written I'm I don't think it's the same word
1: when you were saying it, I'd like it is different to how I would say it, but I just thought maybe it was a regional regional difference <laughs> I know because we say things
0: different but yes it's it's been pointed out um i I won't do it going forward. I'll just skip the word completely, but yes, I know I'm an idiot, <laughs> substitute it for a different word next time, <laughs> yeah, or just I'll be like that e word that I can't say um but you got your second vaccine today, and I was worried <sighs> that you'd be feeling sick, but I'm glad you're not. Well, yesterday my time, so
1: it's been about I oh, don't know. My brain is mush at the moment, but about 16 hours since I've had it. Feeling good, feeling fine. No dramas except for a sore arm, but that's all right. We've been. Oh, I my arm really...
0: hurts so bad.
1: It hurt more the first time, like I could hardly lift it the first time. But this time it just feels like you know normal, normal needle soreness, but. I haven't really spoken about it much, but we've been in lockdown here, Um, I think, nine weeks. um, You know, like, honestly, it's so weird because the days drag on for so long, but then it also seems to have just absolutely flown by. I don't even know where these nine weeks have gone. They're just a bit of a blur, but...
0: That's what I've been saying about, like, the last year here. So we've been in, like, Mm. lockdown, like, on and off. And I'm like, I feel like when it's happening, time's going so slow. But then you look back and I'm like, how is it 2021's, like almost over already like it's september like where the fuck did the last two years go some
1: weird covid time warp or something i don't know like every week like because i get these like this is how i now measure time (laughs) every week on a friday i get these emails about real estate for the weekend because you know i like looking at real estate and like things that you should look at i'm like how is a friday already how has this come around again already i don't understand but um we've been in lockdown for nine ish weeks feels like longer because it kind of was up in the air if we were going to be locked down and then we were and then they've now extended it here for another two weeks so my kids have been off school for nine weeks um so it's been a fun time but hopefully in in covid in sydney I, i know i've spoken about it before we had no covid for a long time so we were so 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 lucky we had basically a year almost of no like zero covid a few small outbreaks here and there but generally no community transmission and then there was some quarantine breach in june or may i think it must've been june and um, now it's quite bad like up in sydney they're at a 1000 cases a day which it's the most they've had during the whole entire pandemic even last year when it first started anyway so they're now trying i don't think i think they've abandoned the idea of ever having zero covid here again and they're just trying to get to 70 or hopefully 80% vaccination rates before things will reopen. So they're saying that we're on track, I think, for 70% by October. So poor old Sydney is going to be locked down for a long time. Thankfully, I live just outside of Sydney and we've been removed from the Sydney classification for this whole COVID thing. So hopefully if our cases, we don't really have any cases, like maybe one per day, sometimes none, it just depends. And they're all contacts of Sydney people. So. Um, hopefully if ours stay low, my kids will be able to go back to school next term. They're nearly on school holidays for their, I guess, spring break, which is good. Mm-hmm. But hopefully they're due to go back early October. So hopefully, fingers crossed, they'll be back for the last term of school because our school is calendar years as well, runs February to December-ish, and then they have their summer break from December and January. So mm. Anyway, fingers crossed. It's just a bit of a mess at the moment. I know it's a mess everywhere, so I know it's not just us. But it's um, uh, yeah. long story short. I'm glad to have finally have been vaccinated because the vaccine <laughs> has been very very slow here. So I'm done.
0: Yeah, it's crazy to think about. But hopefully, um, I always say it, but hopefully we're we're on the up and up. But who knows at this point? On to what we're actually what here to all, talk about. Yeah, what you're all here to hear. There hasn't been a ton of updates with any cases, really. Um, there is a pretty, well, I wouldn't say it's big, but it's exciting that there's a update with this case because it's been dead for so long, even though really nothing's happened yet. But they have kind of reignited the search, or a search in the case for Crystal Rogers.
1: Yeah, so it was kind of out of the blue light. Like, we've done the podcast episode on Crystal as well, so I think it was, um, Now it's always the husband generally, episodes. Um, it was with
0: the Suzanne one, wasn't it? <coughs> yeah, Suzanne. Because we did Jennifer and Suzanne and Crystal and Melissa Davis. Yeah, no, Melinda Davis. Melinda Davis. You know what? Credit to me for even remembering. Oh, do you know what? I was, like, going to leave it out because I actually couldn't remember who he <laughs> was. Um,
1: so anyway, Crystal has been missing from Bardstown, Kentucky since 2015. We won't go into her case here because there's the whole episode on it, but basically her partner at the time, Brooks Houck, was or is the main person of interest. They've done tons of searches for her. The FBI is involved and it's been kind of quiet up until now again, when (laughs) this week, the FBI started a new search in the Woodlawn Springs subdivision of Bardstown. One of Crystal's family members told a news agency that the FBI narrowed down their search for three homes in the subdivision to two on Wednesday. They ripped up a concrete driveway and that investigators searched inside of the homes. Um, And because the reason that they're searching these homes is because Crystal's partner, Brooks, built um, the houses back, you know, I'm assuming it was around the time that she disappeared and that he also owns both the homes. Um, Mm I saw some footage. twitter there was a truck they were you know taking away huge big slab pieces of concrete i thought they must have been taking them away to be forensically analyzed but i've since read that they're basically hauling them away to dump so i think they must assume that she must be quite i my original thought was maybe they thought that she'd been poured the concrete had been poured over her but it sounds like now maybe they think she might be even you know more below the driveway that's there They've been using drones, cadaver dogs and sonar. Um, and then there's a journalist called Shay McAllister and she's been doing a really good kind of play by play update. It says there've been over well, over twenty truckloads of concrete and dirt hauled away. The the dirt and stuff that they're moving isn't being guarded and that basically when the searches leave at night the journalists are able to go and kind of walk around and have a look at the scene. So it doesn't sound like it's <laughs> especially um, what's the word? Like It's not a closed crime scene. I guess they're just looking. One of Shay's colleagues went to Brooks' house and knocked on the door and asked him if he wanted to say anything, and he said no comment. Mm. And the FBI also released a statement today, and it says, as our latest search related to the disappearance of Crystal Rogers continues on the third day, FBI investigators are focused on finding any evidence that will shed light on what happened to her. While we do not have a timeline in regards to when the search will conclude, we will continue our efforts for as long as it takes. So it sounds like they're committed. They must have a really good reason to be so committed to searching this single site after all these mm-hmm. years and to saying there's no, you know, no time frame for it to end. So I'd love to know what evidence they've had about, you know, to, to conduct this search this week.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, it's a case that a lot of people have followed for a long time and I said to you yesterday i saw that it got to the front page of reddit which i never really see true crime stuff on there so it's kind of shocking to just be scrolling and to see this on there and while it was a lot of people who were actually following the case and talking about it kind of one of the main reasons why it was so upvoted was because um the fbi has this like banner (laughs) on their tent that they're using to like you know dig and whatever you know one of those tents that they have it like sport tournaments and stuff. It, the banner literally looks like it's made pro- to promote, like, a yeah, radio a DJ.
1: Yeah, something, like, you, you know, it looks, yeah, they're, like, advertising the FBI is right here. Like, free <laughs> t-shirts,
0: mixtapes, <laughs> like, come get your merch. It's literally, like, FBI investigation. But it just literally looks like it's for a radio DJ 10 at, like, a music festival or something. It's so weird looking. But, you know, I'm glad that's getting it more attention. Yeah.
1: Hopefully they'll find something. I think it's pretty obvious that everyone thinks Brooks is involved. So
0: yeah,
1: and I, I can't believe, I think I said it in the episode too, I can't believe he's been that lucky that she hasn't been found because I don't think he's very intelligent.
0: No, so. it's only a matter of time.
1: So hopefully there'll be an update with some concrete evidence soon. It'll be then, it
0: right when we put out this episode. I know, I, I guarantee <laughs> as soon
1: as we finish this, it'll be like, we found Crystal, which is good, but... So if
0: if that happens while you're listening to this and they found her like yesterday, just know, we knew this was going to happen. We said it, we predicted it as usual. (laughs) I hope it happens though. That'd be great.
1: I know her mom's so sweet. Her mom, bless her heart. She's been doing more interviews and her mom has, I don't even know how she's gotten through all the things that she's endured. So anyway, hopefully for her there's some closure soon.
0: Yeah. And then we talked about last week, episode that um barry morphew is going back to continue his hearing to see if that the case would be taken to trial trial. there was another update with that the preliminary
1: hearing started earlier this month and it just has just concluded now um it seems like there was a little bit less that happened in the last two days than than that happened in the first two days if you go back to our last podcast episode you can listen to the kind of summary of the first two days But this time, former FBI agent Jonathan Grusin was cross-examined. He testified that surveillance from the hotel in Broomfield, which we've spoken about before, where Barry was found smelling of chlorine and he had a weird kind of story going on. It didn't appear that in any of the footage, Barry was kind of transporting or carrying a body. They also said that they brought dogs in and did a search of his truck and looked for signs of any human remains and they didn't find anything. Um, The same agent said that Barry asked for immunity, but Barry's defence said that he only did this after he watched YouTube videos because they said, don't talk, don't do it because Mm -hmm. they will use it against you. So (laughs) Barry's been getting his legal, you know, defence off YouTube, it seems.
0: (laughs) Like why is he looking at
1: it on YouTube? Yeah, I wonder what he was searching for to find that. (laughs) (laughs) Earlier in the hearing, a former FBI agent revealed that they also found a tranquilizer dart cap in the dryer of the family's home. They said that it was actually a needle sheath for a tranquilizer dart gun. Barry was said to have shot deer kind of in the past with these darts, and then he cut off their antlers, which apparently doesn't kill them. So that was their reasoning for why there was that tranquilizer in the house. Hmm. There was also a sheriff's deputy who testified and said that there were only empty gut darts in the gun safe, and it appeared to him that the tranquilizer gut tranquilizer gun did not work properly and that it hadn't been used in some time. So that's kind of a weird piece of evidence. Um, there was another witness who was CBI agent Joseph Cahill. He said that according to reports from scientists, there was unknown male DNA found on the handlebars and brakes of Suzanne's bike, in the um and in the backseat of her car and in the glove box. So randomly, there were, there were three partial DNA profiles returned from the glove box from men who are all tied to unsolved sexual assault cases. There's, like That's this really- seems. Seems to me this is so weird and wild, and no one's actually really saying anything about
0: it. Because that's the one thing that makes me be like, "Oh, maybe Barry didn't do it, or like at least that's enough of like a hole in the story that he might not get in trouble for it if he did do it."
1: Crazy, and it just seems like I I know I I feel like this is the defense setting it up, and this is probably their um, most you know their strongest defense point. I would think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird that's not looked into more if it's connected to other unsolved cases once you want to be like, "Wait a minute. Yeah. Who is this? That was like, in her car. Could that,
1: how could it possibly be in her car? I'm assuming that her car was never stolen or anything like that. I don't know. Because it must be someone that they know." Mm. Anyway, at the end of the four-day preliminary hearing, Barry's defence team told the court they didn't believe prosecutors proved that proof was evident or that the presumption was great enough to convict Barry. They asked the judge to make a ruling immediately so that Barry didn't have to sit in jail, but the judge said no. Um, The judge said he had more than 20 hours of witness testimony and 25 pages of notes to go through before he could decide if this case should go to trial. And he also said that there was more witnesses called in this case than any other preliminary hearing that he's ever presided upon. He has said that he will make a decision on the trial by September 17 and he will hold a public hearing to explain his decision scheduled for 1.30 p.m. So we'll have to give an update on that. I know a lot of people have been saying that they don't think, based on the evidence that we've seen in this hearing, that there is enough to convict Barry. Um, a lot of it's circumstantial and things yeah. like that. <laughs> like I, I feel like they don't have a super um, strong case. The, the prosecution, they can't prove it beyond reasonable doubt. No, like obviously we know that Barry probably did it, but yeah, there's no actual real proof. I wonder, I wonder how he disposed of her body if it, there was no evidence in his car and he wasn't seen with anything that could be, you know, even pieces of a body. So I don't know. I'd like to know more. Maybe she's buried close to their home or something like that. Imagine he didn't do it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, 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 would, I would
0: be like really so- taking on the episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's never the husband. It's never the husband. <laughs> uh. I feel like these three men from the sexual assault thing are just a weird inclusion. I don't think that they – there's no evidence that she was abducted by anyone else or, you know, anything else like that. It's always been surely it has to be someone inside the home or someone close to her. And they might just
0: know a serial rapist. Very, very strange. And I figured
1: too, there's probably more that they haven't um, let out that they'll hold back for if there's a trial maybe. Yeah. So we've got about – Three weeks till we find out if Barry will go to trial or not.
0: Hmm.
1: I don't know. I couldn't pick either way. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they said no, but then I also hope they say yes. So.
0: Yeah, I, w- I won't be surprised if it goes to trial, but I also won't be surprised if it doesn't. Yep. same. So today we're going to talk about dads who murder or deadly dads, as <laughs> we've um coined, because <laughs> we did an episode about moms who murder. And we did, it's always the husband, but as always the husband it was more about spousal murders. But we haven't done one about dads who kill their kids specifically. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And you found some statistics, if you want to go over them.
1: So when I was, we, we spoke a bit about the statistics in terms of mums killing their babies in the other episode, but... I found that fathers who kill their children are more likely to have a history of domestic and family violence. They are more likely to kill it out of revenge towards a partner or former partner, which I think that all the cases we're going to discuss today are basically a revenge killing, mm-hmm. whereas I find more women probably do it for mental health reasons or um, not so much in terms of retaliating against their
0: partner. Yeah, even though... If- Matthew Coleman, like, it is revenge, but, like, also because he's fucking crazy, but yeah, technically yeah, revenge.
1: And, like, you know what? I have no doubt that all these guys are probably generally mentally ill as well, but their motivation isn't because they were crazy. Their motivation generally, you know, obviously generally is because they want to get back at their ex-partner or partner.
0: A lot of women seem to do it
1: because they feel like they're saving their kids usually. Yeah, saving them from the partner or, you know, from whatever their reasoning the is. Yeah. yeah. So for Millicide, <clears> these <throat> when both the partner and the children are killed, uh, yeah, are killed, is committed almost exclusively by men, which is also very true. You very rarely hear of a, you know, case where the mother kills the father and the children. It's usually the mother just kills the children. Mm-hmm. Researchers suggest that this indicates men are more likely to have proprietary attitudes to both women and children and women have their attitude primarily primarily towards the children. So I know that it seems like men do do this more. Um, I did read a stat that said it's basically almost equal, though, in terms of women and men who commit these type of crimes, which is interesting.
0: I feel like I hear more stories about women, like, killing their kids. I reckon also, like, my my theory, this is not a scientific theory, but my theory
1: on why that is is because women are generally the ones who are into true crime generally. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you find see a case about a woman who killed their two little kids and you always think, my gosh, I could never do that, you're a bit more um, empathetic. Not not even empathetic, but you can relate to it a lot more, I guess, if you've got young children yourself and things like that.
0: So that's my
1: theory yeah. on why.
0: I also think from like a media standpoint it comes off as more like shocking because you know mothers are supposed to be motherly and yeah kind and not murdering their kids not that fathers are supposed to be murdering their kids but, <laughs> but you know what I mean like it's supposed to be like this great bond between a mom and a kid where yeah. it seems like it's more shocking for some reason a lot of time when you think of just murderers in general you usually think male yeah but females do murder
1: yeah. So when we when we were talking about this episode, a lot of these men killed these their families and their kids in these crazy ways. Whereas women I find generally do it a lot more basically, if that's the right word. Yeah. Like they what, do it to kind of minima, minimize pain and minimize fear. General like obviously I'm generalizing. I know that there's cases where they don't, but they're generally like a more quick death and a, you know, a less violent way of doing it.
0: Yeah, and guys do like crazy shit.
1: Yeah crazy
0: crazy i wonder why that is so speaking of fathers who kill their kids in fucking crazy ways um the first we're going to talk about is matthew coleman which happened really recently it only happened what this month
1: yeah like maybe three weeks ago yeah
0: yeah and it we posted about it and it blew up pretty quickly because it was just like such a shocking headline it like the headline was father murders two kids in mexico with a wooden stake initially it turned out that it probably wasn't a wooden stake it was actually um like a spearfishing gun which doesn't make it any less crazy and awful but just seeing that headline people were like wait what so that's the first one we're gonna talk about today
2: We are following just a heartbreaking story impacting both sides of our border. A surf school
3: owner with ties to San Diego is now
2: accused of murdering his two toddlers.
3: It's so young, it's just so hard to hear. Uh, News 8's Chris Groh joining us live in San Ysidro
1: now, and you've been staying on top of the latest developments. So what details do you have now, Chris?
3: And Matthew Taylor Coleman, that is this man's name, the 40-year-old in federal custody right now. He was actually arrested trying to cross back into the United States of America from Mexico here at the San Ysidro border crossing. Now, take a look here at your screen. This is a picture of Coleman, and we also know there are a number of other pictures taken from surveillance cameras that Mexican authorities say show exactly the timeline of how they believe what led up to eventually the murder of these two children, a three-year-old's boy and a one year old girl. Now they uh, Mexican law enforcement say that they found both children stabbed multiple times at a ranch in El Descanso. But using surveillance cameras, law enforcement discovered that Coleman had actually checked into a City Express Hotel in Rosarito with his two children on Saturday evening around 8 AM. Coleman can be seen in those surveillance images, leaving the hotel with his kids early Monday morning, just before three that 3 AM. He then returned about three and a half hours later, by himself Shortly after that, authorities arrested Coleman at the border on suspicion of murder.:
0: A little bit of background on him and his wife and his family. Um, Matthew Coleman and his wife Abby, they seem to have, you know, the typical picturesque Instagram life. Um, they were living like the California dream. They actually ran their own surf school. He was a surf instructor. It was called the Lovewater Surf School. And so,
1: like, on their website, it's, it's still up. There's photos of them with all their kids. If you click on the team, it says the Love Water story. It says, in 1981, Matt was born to a small business owner. Anyway, then it goes on about his life. And then it says, um, today, as experienced educators and mentors, Matt and Abby enjoy finding ways to better lives through surfing, experiential education, and community-based projects. So it goes on basically about how great he is and how family-oriented he is and why they've started this surf school. So... It's um very wholesome looking on the website.
0: So, so murder doesn't seem very on brand for them. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and they had two babies named Kaleo and Roxy. So we took some screenshots of their social media when the story first came out, which we have learned our lesson and basically always try to do now because as soon as that story starts getting a lot of attention the social media accounts and things usually get pulled down or posts get deleted someone ends up cleaning them up if you're someone who's nosy like us always take screenshots as soon as you can so in an instagram post they had about the birth of his daughter roxy he made an instagram caption that seemed a little delusional and people have since mentioned that like his posts kind of became more and more delusional as in sense of like religion and Things like that, like what we've talked about in the past where people kind of have like, um, like a wild religious ideology. Yeah. So this is what it said. While waiting for her to come, I kept feeling the sense that she was going to be born at a very pivotal time in history. And that she would represent a dawn or even awakening to years of great blessing for our family and nation. Another picture that came to me was of God reaching down into a riverbed and picking up a small stone. In parentheses, rock.
1: Why, I wonder why yeah. he needed to clarify that. Like we all know what it says. I know.
0: Like, <laughs> like okay. What else could it be? A pebble. Um, yeah. Weird. Exam. Mm. <laughs> but that's like the least weird thing somehow. Um, <laughs> examining it intently, just as David had done before slaying Goliath, God examined the stone and was confident that it was just the perfect one for battle. Although it was small, smooth, and somewhat harmless-looking, he knew that it would become. Great when placed into the palm of a skilled hand. My declaration over Roxy Rain is that she has been handpicked by God to slay the giants in the land.
1: It's weird because if one of if one of my friends made a post like that, I'll be like, what is going on? But when I read the comments, everyone just thought it was like normal We're and great. Like
0: praying, blessed. <laughs> <laughs> so strange. Yeah. I, I would think it was a red flag if he wasn't like posting like that normally, obviously um if he wasn't super religious and i feel like people have since said like he really wasn't super religious until recently yeah like they you know they were like the good catholic family but he wasn't posting stuff like this until like over the last year or so or a couple years
1: yeah so in um november so early november last year so less than a year ago he wrote another post Um, I won't read it all because it's long, but he goes on. When while worshipping with friends this weekend, I had an unexpected wave of thoughts and images come over me, which brought me a lot of hope. And then he just goes on to talk about it's almost as if God is praying over us. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope. So this was obviously going on for a while before um this all happened anyway. So
0: Yeah, and I guess it's hard to say like you know, maybe some people saw that and they're like, Oh great, he's, you know, finding God and being religious now. Like yeah. who's to say like it's a religious delusion right off the bat? You'd never assume
1: or like I'm assuming, especially from what they portrayed that their lives were like, that he would do something like
0: this. So Yeah. Anyway. Besides all the posts, we don't really know much else about his life up until August of this year. Like there wasn't any major red flags, like he'd been arrested for domestic violence or was arrested for doing something drugs, else something, yeah. wild or drugs, yeah, or you know having like a mental break. like there's nothing else that we found that would have pointed to anything like this. You know, sometimes I'll have past arrests, but nothing was there
1: when I was looking to his wife's social media has always been either blank or very locked down, so I never really could see anything from hers um either to kind of support like her last Facebook post is from two thousand and nineteen, and it's a Her selling some sunglasses and Mm -hmm. her Instagram's private. So it's all basically just based on his um, posts and what he put out there.
0: Yeah. it brings us to the actual crime. So it happened on Sunday, August 8th. Abby, the wife, she reported to police that Matthew and the two children were missing and she said they'd been gone for more than 24 hours and that she was starting to get worried for their welfare because she hadn't heard from them or anything. Um, so investigators discovered that Matthew had taken the children to Mexico without Abby's consent. So the FBI got involved now that it was um different countries. And the Santa Barbara Police Department put out a statement that said, on August 8th, 2021, the Santa Barbara Police Department took three missing person reports from a mother who indicated her husband and children had been missing for approximately twenty-four hours. The mother was concerned for the well-being of her husband and their two children. During the investigation Santa Barbara police obtained evidence that the father and the two children had possibly traveled to Mexico. Santa Barbara police have been working directly with the FBI and U.S. Border Patrol regarding this investigation. Because this investigation potentially involved the jurisdiction of another country, the FBI is the lead investigating agency. Um, So then the FBI's Los Angeles field office released a statement that said the FBI is working with police in Santa Barbara following a report. They received about three missing persons, one adult and two children who are believed to have crossed a southern border and into Mexico. A joint investigations underway among the Santa Barbara Police Department, the FBI, in Los Angeles and San Diego, U.S., Customs and Border Protection and Mexican authorities. It did move super quick in this case, which maybe
1: leads me to believe I'd love to know more about that because... You know, usually maybe they would think it might have been a custody issue or a family dispute, but they did seem to move super, super quick and do a lot of investigation, So, which is good because it had a quick outcome for Abby, I guess, at least. She didn't have to have this drag on for months and all that.
0: Yeah. I wonder if it's just because he, like, went to Mexico and they thought that was weird. Yeah.
1: Even for them to, like, we'll go into how they kind of figured out he was in Mexico, so even for them to do that, it seems very quick. Yeah, maybe just because they, I don't know, lucky they got on top of it anyway.
0: Court documents outline that the investigation started on Saturday when Abby contacted the Santa Barbara police to report that her husband had left the couple's residence in a sprinter van and she didn't know where they'd gone. Next day, Abby filed a missing persons report and she was able to track Matthew's phone and discovered that it had been used in Rosarita, Mexico. Authorities kept tracking Matthew's phone and saw that he was near the San Ysidro port of entry at the U.S.-Mexico border on Monday, August 9th. So the FBI sent officers to intercept Matthew as he re-entered the country, and they discovered that the children were not with him. American FBI agents contact law enforcement officials in Rosarita and learned that... That morning, Mexican authorities had recovered the bodies of two children matching the description of Kaleo and Roxy. CCTV footage has come out, or at least stills from the footage has come out, of him in Mexico with the kids. Um, You could see him checking into a hotel. It's the City Express Hotel in Rosarito with the children. And he's seen leaving with both of them on Monday at 2.54 a.m. And then he returns alone later that same day um without them obviously
3: News kirsten holmes joins us live with what we've learned about the case today kirsten
4: hey i'm here at the san diego fbi office where in my hand i'm holding the criminal complaint against matthew taylor coleman this details the gruesome murder of his two young children While in Rosarito, the complaint says Coleman murdered his children using a spearfishing
0: gun into their chests. Coleman said he believed his children were going to grow into monsters and that he had to kill them after he was enlightened by QAnon and
4: Illuminati conspiracy theories. He says he was also having visions and signs that his wife had serpent DNA and passed that DNA onto his children. The court filing says Coleman believed he was saving the world from monsters.
0: I believe that after he left the hotel, he took the two children to a farm nearby where he brutally murdered them. Roxy was only 10 months old and was stabbed 12 times with a wooden stake. And again, like I said earlier, it turns was out it not, probably wasn't not- a wooden stake, but this was the initial report. Calio, who's three, was stabbed 17 times with the same weapon. The region's attorney general said that a blood-stained wooden stake was found near the bodies. When Matthew was arrested, he told police that he actually used a spear-fishing gun to kill the children and that he moved the spear gun around in their bodies to yeah. finish, to, to make sure the job was done. Yeah. Um, I guess I should have given, like, a trigger warning. But you know what? We're It's pretty clear we're talking about kids being murdered. It's It's not great. I feel like the wooden stake versus the spear
1: fishing thing might have been a bit of a um, lost-in-translation thing, maybe, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's what I think, too, because it's pretty random. So on August 11th, Matthew was charged in a federal criminal complaint with foreign murder of United States nationals. Matthew told investigators he believed his children were going to grow into monsters, so he had to kill them. He also said he was enlightened by QAnon and Illuminati conspiracy theories, and was receiving visions and signs revealing that his wife possessed serpent DNA and had passed it on to his children. He told federal investigators he was saving the world from monsters and that he knew it was wrong, but it was the only course of action that would save the world. So, that's that's a lot. And he also gave his version of events to police. He said that he drove to Mexico with his children in the family's Mercedes Sprinter van on August 7th. He said because he didn't have a car seat, he put the youngest child in a box. On the morning he killed his children, he drove to Rancho del Celio and pulled off to the side of the road. He used a spearfishing gun, piercing his daughter in the heart, according to the complaint. He said when his son didn't die right away, he had to move the spear around, thereby cutting his hand in the process. FBI agents said injuries consistent with the statement were seen on his hand. After the murders, Matthew moved their bodies about 30 yards away and put them in brush. He then drove a couple of miles and discarded the spearfishing gun and bloody clothes near a creek. And he also said he threw the bloody clothes into a blue trash bin somewhere off the side of the road in Tijuana.
1: It's crazy to me when he says that he put the kid in a box. I have to wonder what was going on because in the CCTV, it looks clear to me that the little kid, the smaller kid, is in an actual car seat. Maybe yeah. and then he says he
0: put the smaller kid, the youngest maybe kid, Maybe he didn't have, box. like, the other piece to the car seat. You know how, like, some of them have, like, another piece uh, of, like, yeah, yeah, yeah maybe, or something? Yeah, maybe
1: that's a good point because, like, the car seat is clearly visible in the CCTV footage, so...
0: It's weird hearing a story about a guy who murdered his two kids with, like, a spear gun, and then I'm, like, shocked over the fact that he put his kid in a box. As Like, of course he did. He's the worst. (laughs) Yeah, why are you surprised by that? (laughs) I know, but I was just like, ugh, rude. So a jailer asked him why he had a Band-Aid on his hands, and he responded it was from hurting his children. According to the FBI, the murder weapon, bloody clothes, and a baby's blanket were recovered by the Mexican police. And the FBI said photos of the crime scene showed the children mm-hmm. with large puncture wounds in their chest cavities. Mm-hmm. According to court documents, the children were found dead in a ditch. Matthew also allegedly took photos of the children after their deaths and his images matched the ones that investigators had. Which is weird. Horrendous. Yeah. Just, um. So now he is being held in protective custody in an undisclosed federal prison and he has not um entered a plea yet so this is one of those cases where like a lot happened very quickly and now not not so much is happening i don't know what the process is now like when does he have to enter a plea i don't know how
1: it works there
0: but yeah i don't i don't know because it's like international now i feel like there'll probably be more charges yeah
1: well you'd have to think yeah I don't know, but I don't know how it works. I think it's probably going to be a more drawn out process because it will involve the two countries now.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Hmm. So the man who owns the property where the babies were found, he created a little memorial for them. His name is Roberto. And he said, every day since then has been sad. Every day is difficult and I can't sleep at night. I thank God and pray for the children. So he gives me strength to be able to cope and find some peace. I feel as if they were part of my family. I think about them all the time, he said. And he added that he would like to meet the mother of the children, inviting her to visit his memorial. So crazy. Like Um, Imagine just going out to do your daily yard
1: work or whatever he was doing and coming across that.
0: Yeah, it's definitely traumatizing. There was a little update that we found in People magazine, if if you want to count it as an update. Basically, just <laughs> someone gave a comment. Um, a family friend told people that Abby is devastated. She's confused, stunned, and just destroyed inside. She never had any idea. He thought all these things. She thinks he just snapped. Something must have happened in his brain. She hopes to be able to ask him for answers face-to-face someday. But for now, she's just grieving. We all are. It's an absolute nightmare. I couldn't even... Imagine like if it really was just like he just snapped and she's so confused. Like imagine your significant other just doing something like that and now you can't even really talk to them or ask them like what the fuck and they murdered your kids. Like you're grieving the loss of three people, basically.
1: I've seen some comments online where people say that basically she was kind of in on this whole conspiracy religious craziness. Yeah. Um I haven't seen any proof of that. Like it could be true, I don't know, but um if, I think yeah. It's
0: bullshit.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. Like even I you think know, so because
0: as soon as like the story came out, like people were just commenting that on our Instagram, saying like the wife was in on it and blah blah. blah. And it was literally like a half hour after the news came out. So I just think that you know so people are just assholes and like to be dicks and watch the world burn. Even I saw
1: when we made the Facebook page post about it, and someone was commenting like, "I heard rumors that they were both on drugs." I'm like, "Like <laughs> I, I haven't seen anything." along those lines.
0: I think people just like to imagine just like having stuff. the confidence to just like fucking <laughs> say shit like that and feel no remorse. Like <laughs> I get upset if I pronounce a word wrong. I couldn't <laughs> imagine just starting a whole disgusting lies. rumor. Yeah. So crazy.
1: I, I had a look online. I can't see any obituaries for the kids or any, you know, memorial thing. I'm assuming they're going to keep that very private, which is understandable, but um yeah, I haven't seen anything like that and I haven't seen anything else about what the timeline for Matthew's criminal trial will be. So hopefully stuff will start happening soon. We'll be on the lookout, though, for updates. Yes. I think this is quite a big one, so we won't miss the updates, fingers crossed. Mm. I was just going to say, make sure you check out the blog, because it's got the CCTV, all the screenshots from all their social media, all that type of stuff on there. So have a look at that.
0: Yeah, and the CCTV stills, they just make you feel really gross looking at them. Not like gross, but just like, ugh because you just know what's happening. It's just, always weirds me out about CCTV, it's just crazy. Before we move on, like I'd love to know,
1: hopefully it'll come out one day, like why he chose this hotel. Why did he go to Mexico? Why did he live with them at 3 a.m. or 2.54 in the morning? Yeah. And Like I wonder what his actual plan was, if he had a plan or if, you know, hopefully one yeah. day we'll know more.
0: Yeah, I think the only way we'd find out a lot of that is if he decides to tell. Yeah. Which he might. He was pretty forthcoming otherwise.
1: I'd say this might be one where the insanity plea might come into play.
0: Yeah, and I think he probably could get it, because it's what it seems like. Like I was saying in the beginning, like it definitely is insanity, it seems, but also was revenge in like a weird type of way, with his wife having serpent blood. I don't know. Very strange. Yes. But next we're going to talk about um, a few smaller ones, some from yeah. Australia. So hopefully they'll be new news to everyone. Crossed. So the first one that we're going to speak about is
1: from April this year, April 2021. Um, basically, there started reports coming out that a man. And a small child had fallen over the edge of the whispering wall in the Barossa Valley. So the whispering wall is basically a retaining wall of a reservoir. Um, You know, I looked it up and it says, Built between 1899 and 1903, the dam was a revolutionary engineering feat for its day and attracted attention from all over the world, even making its way into the pages of the journal Scientific American. So people go there because it's kind of, you know, something different, I guess, it says. And the the kind of unique thing about it is that it has unique acoustic effects. Words whispered at one side can be clearly heard at the other more than 100 metres away. Children in particular love visiting the wall and testing its abilities.
0: Have you ever, I, you've been to New York before, right, you said? yeah. In Grand Central, there's um like a hallway where you can do that with like the four corners you can whisper in one corner and if your friend stands in like the opposite <laughs> diagonal corner you can hear it so people uh, always do stuff like that it must be similar i think i went to grand central but i don't think i knew that oh well next time you come back i'll have to show you <laughs>
1: one um so the wall is about 36 meters or 120 feet high so it's a fair you know drop Mm -hmm. It soon became clear that though this was no accidental fall, there was a police call at the time and it was marked down as a psychiatric call and basically we learned pretty quickly that a man called Henry Shepherdson put his nine-month-old daughter Kobe in a baby carrier on his chest and he purposely stepped off the edge of the wall. The South Australian police released a statement. It's really long. I'll put it on the blog, but basically it says police and emergency services were called to the whispering wall after witnesses reported seeing a man with an infant in a child carrier jump. Um, the child was actually alive when they got there, but she was unresponsive and they were given CP- she was given CPR but died at the scene. And it says, although a formal identification has not yet been completed, police believe the man to be Henry Shepherdson, age 38, and his daughter Kobe, age nine months. Early investigation has shown a history of domestic violence between Henry and the mother of Kobe. No one else is being sought after the deaths.
2: It's two days since nine-month-old Kobe Shepherdson died at the hands of her father at the Barossa Valley's Whispering Wall. As the community has grieved...
4: So I'll come down and put some flowers for young Kobe uh, and just give a bit of tribute and let you know, people know that my heart's going out to this poor young child and the family.
2: Court documents have shed new light on her father's violent past. They show Mr Shepherdson was arrested just five months ago for assaulting, falsely imprisoning and threatening to kill Kobe and her mum at their home. Police opposed bail, noting serious concerns about a history of violence in WA and his attitude toward his partner. Authorities were also worried the 38-year-old might obtain a firearm and hurt the victim or flee interstate given previous Western Australian bail breaches. Documents show those charges were dropped in March this year. They don't explain why. But Mr Shepherdson's clear history of violence has once again amplified calls to reform a system and a society that allowed this tragedy to happen.
1: You know, this, there's not a whole lot of information on this one. If you go to Henry's Facebook page is surprisingly still up. His last post was made in November last year and it's a video of the little baby and it says, My little girl, my heart is so full. Kobe Anastasia Isabel Shepherdson. And there's obviously all the comments underneath since about what a jerk and what a he was. He posted a lot yeah. about his daughter. Um, they named her after Kobe Bryant. And then there was also one interesting post, I'm just scrolling down to it now, where he talked about child protection. It was September 3, 2019, so a little bit before this all happened, but he posted National Child Protection Week with a heart. Aww. So <laughs> that did not age well for him. No. So anyway, people are still posting on his thing about you know all his you know indiscretions and his violent past and things like that. So there's some videos of Kobe that I'll put up on the blog and things like that. So that that's a very very short, quick one, but just another crazy example of what a terrible way to kill. Well, any, anyway, is going to be a terrible way to kill anyone. But imagine just doing that with your baby strapped to your chest.
0: It's just very obscure ways to do it.
1: Yeah. I wish we knew more about the motivation. I say that all the time, I know, but I'd love to know more.
4: All
1: right, so the next one is another Australian one. Unlike Henry's case, there's a lot of information about this. There's actually been a coronial inquest on this one that's over 300 pages long, so I'll link it on the blog. It's some very sad and interesting reading.
4: Late afternoon in July 2018, a horrific crime was taking place in Sydney's leafy northwest.
3: There's been a deadly shooting a short time ago in Sydney's northwest. The ambulance service has confirmed two people are dead.
4: young brother and his sister in Sydney shot dead by their own father who then took his own life. 68-year-old John Edwards murdered his own teenage children Jack and Jennifer who were living with his ex-wife Olga. I just couldn't believe it. I cried straight away. I I just couldn't believe it. After hearing the terrible news, Lana Kassian texted her friend, Olga Edwards. And she texted me. John killed our children. My mind is dead.
1: Uh, July 5, 2018 was when this all took place. John Edwards entered the home of his ex-wife, Olga. They lived in Sydney together. The couple had two children, Jack, who was 15 and Jennifer, who was 13. I'm guessing that the children knew that their father wasn't there for a great reason and that when they found they were huddled together under a desk. He murdered them with a semi-automatic weapon that he'd recently purchased. When he left the property, some witnesses have said he kind of skipped down the steps as if he looked happy and drove to his own home. He took his own life. Following their deaths, as I said, they held a coronial inquest and it was found that John had been extremely abusive in the past. He over a period spanning forty years, he had six former partners and ten estranged children. In this, in terms of this marriage and these children, Olga and John married in two thousand and one. They met online, I believe, and she moved from Russia to start a life in Australia with him. Olga was very intelligent, I believe she was an attorney. Um, But anyway, she still somehow managed to come across John and move to Australia. Happens, and then you just get trapped. So that was 2001. They got married. He applied for a gun license in 2010 here. It's a bit different to the U S in terms of gun control. So it's quite strict here. You have to apply for gun licenses. It's very hard to get a license and hard to get a gun. So he applied for a license in 2010, but he was denied because he lied about his past on the application. During their marriage, John became increasingly abusive. He first started abusing Olga, but as the kids became older, he turned his attention to Jack. Olga took the kids and left the marriage in 2016. That same year, Olga went to the police with her concerns about John and about the safety of their children. He told the police that his ex-wife's fears were an exaggeration and said that he was merely giving his children a, quote, clip over the ear hole and a kick up the bum. So I'm guessing sounds you know, very Australian. Does a kick up the bum. <laughs> um, so since this has all happened, Olga's colleagues have come out and said that she told them almost daily about how John was hitting or otherwise abusing Jack. At one point, John threw Jack to the ground and punched him with feet and fists. And another time, she said he punched Jack in the head after cornering him in the garage. Over the years, John has been reported to the police more than 15 times for domestic violence issues. His previous partners have said that he was a controlling man who made them grow their hair long and wear mini dresses and lipstick. Two of his ex-partners said that he threatened to kill them and one reported that he gave her rat poison. And things were so bad that one former partner escaped over the garden wall with the kids while John was in the shower. His first wife said he was not particularly good looking, but he was charming and would bewitch be you. And then he turned. So he it must have been. Yeah, I don't know how. I guess some he just prayed of vulnerable women who were easily, you know, influenced. Um, Despite Olga telling the police about John's behavior, he applied for a gun license again in 2016 and it was granted in 2017. John Hmm. continued, oh no, good, good, good investigating and good background checking. (laughs) Very very American of them. (laughs) Um, John continued to stalk Olga after the marriage ended. He would do things like turn up to her 6 a.m. yoga class and police reports say he did this over 15 times. They looked into the police report later and found that it was riddled with errors and it had never actually properly been filed, so there was no real record of this, you know, crazy behavior.
4: In 2016, Olga applied for a divorce. She filed complaints with police alleging her husband had been violent towards her and the children. Despite those complaints, her estranged husband was later granted a firearms license and bought the guns he would use to murder his own children. When we have this kind of tragedy and fatality, and all the facts are laid bare, we see that this should never have happened. For seven months, a coronial inquiry has investigated just how this tragedy was allowed to occur. Today an emotional coroner, Teresa Sullivan, found a series of crucial, systemic and serious failures on the part of New South Wales Police, the Firearms Registry and the independent children's lawyer in the family law proceedings. The coroner concluded by saying that the evidence before her reveals that Jack and Jennifer Edwards' deaths were preventable.
1: Between 2016 and 2018, John purchased multiple guns. He stored them in a locker at a pistol club in Sydney. On July 4, 2018, he went to this pistol club to get the guns and reports say he closed the door to his locker so hard that it needed repairs. I'm guessing that's included because it kind of hints to his violence and his, you know, aggression. Yeah. Anyway, so the next day after he got the guns, he went to Olga's home and killed his children before taking his own life. He left a three-page suicide note in which he blamed Olga for the deaths of their children. Olga, you may scream out what has John done when the reality is what has Olga done? None of this would have happened had you been a halfway normal person, he said. So he sounds like a lovely, kind guy. Yeah, what a dick. No. New South Wales Police Assistant Commissioner brett mcfadden so this was a heinous and horrible crime so after her children died olga lived without her children for five months until december 2018 and the pain became too much for her to bear and she took her own life in her home so he essentially Mm. killed all even though he didn't murder his wife he caused her death
0: yeah so terrible
1: that's a really interesting one. It was a very high-profile one in Australia, and as I said, if you want to read the background into John's abuse and his past relationships and all that, you should check out the coronial inquest, which I will put up as a document on the blog. It's crazy. There was just so many red flags in this case, and they were all ignored or missed. or.
0: It seems like it's one of those ones where it was totally preventable. if Yeah, anyone had listened to her. Yeah, if the proper like steps had been taken to make sure he like, couldn't get a gun, to make sure that it was all documented. Like It seems like he was a piece of shit for a long time. Yeah. So the next one we're going to do, it's from Texas. So I'm going to read it because I'm American. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, it's a little bit older, and it was from Christmas Day 2011 in Grapevine, Texas. The Yazdin Panna family had just opened their Christmas gifts around the tree. And around 11, 16 a.m., Sergeant Roger Eberling said a female victim sent a text message to a friend indicating the family had just exchanged gifts and that one of the families had dressed up as Santa. Aziz Gazdapanen, he's 56. He killed his estranged wife, um, Nazrin Ramadi, 55. Their 19-year-old daughter, Nona. Their 15-year-old son, Ali. And his 58-year-old sister-in-law, Zoran, and 59-year-old brother-in-law, Hussain, and his 22-year-old niece, Sahara. So a lot of extended family members were also involved yeah. in this, which is wild. Aziz was the one who had dressed up as Santa to give out the gifts, as it turns out. Minutes after the initial text, police received a 911 call, which initially sounded just like silence. But after listening to the call, again, police could hear someone with a raspy voice voice saying, help me. He said the caller sounded out of breath and the call went on, went dead after 15 to 20 seconds. Grapevine 911, where is your emergency? Hello, Grapevine
4: 911.
0: You need help? Are you
3: sick? What was that? Do you need an ambulance or police? Hello? One moment. I'm
0: um, just getting heavy breathing on the phone and I need to come to talk to you, so please send it So police arrived within minutes where they found the bodies of all six victims and the gunman. Two handguns were found among the wrapping paper and Christmas tree. The family had allegedly been having some financial troubles in the lead up to the murders and Aziz had recently filed for bankruptcy and it's also been said that he was pissed off that his ex-wife was doing so well for herself. So again, a revenge scenario. When you
1: see the photos of them, they look like a very, um, I don't want to say wealthy, but do you know what I mean? Like they look like a very normal family. like together. (laughs) Yeah, like he's wearing a suit in some photos. like. They look like, you know, people you would see in the community. I can imagine this must have been such a shock to everyone.
0: Yeah, it sucks that there's no, like, real answers, I guess. Yeah. Obviously, there's tons of cases that are much bigger profile than the ones we're talking about. Obviously, Tony Tote, who we've talked about, we have an episode on, we bring it up here and there. I like we bring him um, up every single episode. (laughs) I do. I think so, too. There's always a reason to bring up Tony Tote. If it's about the dog that died or, you know. The dog, the Benadryl. (laughs) But I'm sure everyone knows at this point he um, murdered his kids his wife he gave them a bunch of benadryl and then they were left in their house dead for a few weeks Mm -hmm. and people thought they were missing for a while he also murdered the dog in um celebration florida the town of disney very (laughs) happy and of course chris watts who murdered his wife shannon and their two kids bella and celeste and left their body the two kids left their bodies in an oil tank um shannon he left her in a shallow grave next to the oil tanks and it was all suspected because he had a girlfriend was having an affair so we all know that one as well um another one that we weren't going to include Initially, because we have talked about this in a past episode, but it was one of our very early on episodes I might have taken down as one about the Baxter family, which is Australian. So, our Australian podcaster is going to talk about that one a
1: little. So, this again was another really high profile one in Australia. Um, it was last year, February 19, 2020.
3: An act of family violence has left three young children dead and a mother in a critical condition after a horrific car fire at Camp Hill in Brisbane this morning. Their father, former NRL player Rowan Baxter, also died at the scene. Police say he had stab wounds. His wife Hannah is fighting for her life after escaping the burning vehicle. She had been allegedly doused with petrol moments before the car exploded. And a warning, the content in this story may distress some viewers.
4: A devastating morning for emergency services that rocked a quiet suburban street. The three little children didn't stand a chance. It's a horrific scene. Uh, it will be a horrific thing for emergency services, police, fire and ambulance to, to deal with in the coming days. The father has been identified as former New Zealand Warriors player Rowan Baxter. His children, Lena, Aliyah and Trey, age 6, 4 and 3. And their mother, 31-year-old Hannah Baxter. Witnesses say she was heard screaming for help, shouting she'd been covered in petrol moments before the car burst into flames. Uh, she had severe burns to, um, to a significant part of her body. Um, uh, yeah, the, she was treated for those burns. Uh, we secured her airway on scene. Only alive because she was pulled from the driver's seat while still on fire. We did all we could, um, but it was confronting.
1: Hannah Baxter, her maiden name is Clark, and that's how she's kind of now referred to, which is no surprise after this, but I'll just call her Hannah Baxter to start with. She loaded up her car to take the kids to school in Camp Hill, which is a suburb near Brisbane in Queensland. Hannah was separated from her husband, Rowan, at the time. They were originally married in 2012, and they had three children, Aaliyah, who was six, I think it's Layana who was four, and Trey, who was three. So reports have since come out that Rowan was um, physically and emotionally abusive to Hannah and the kids. I know they'd owned a gym at some point and, you know, he just didn't seem like he he was on a real downward spiral when this all happened. In 2019, he'd been subjected to a domestic violence order, which we is abbreviated to a DVO here, after he kidnapped the oldest child, Aaliyah, in 2019. He rejected his lawyer's by advice of mediation and refused to sign a consent order, which Hannah actually offered to him, which allowed him 165 days of custody a year, which seems pretty reasonable to me. It's almost yeah, it's you know,
0: like
1: more than half. Yeah, right. Am I doing half right? No, I think it's a little bit less than half, but it's still, it's still a decent amount considering you know some parents get the kids on weekends or whatever. It seems like it would be a little bit more than that. It's still almost half. Yeah, it's a lot less um so this dvo though was variated in varied sorry in january 2020 which returned rowan rowan then had full access to his children again so this is just another thing where it's kind of back and forth through the system nothing is really happening even though there was this evidence of this abuse and this you know kidnapping and parental alienation and things like that the couple did finally go to mediation and Rowan again refused to sign the consent order which would lock in custody of the children. He subsequently signed a parenting agreement that gave him the same level of access which was but it wasn't legally binding. So I don't know what was going on with that, but this access was revoked in February, so right before the murders when police charged him with breaching the DBO. So anyway, back to February 19. Hannah was about to drive off in the car and take the kids to school. Rowan ambushed the family. He jumped in, I'm assuming. He poured petrol all over the kids as they were buckled into their car seats. They couldn't get out and he set them all on fire. He also set Hannah on fire. Um, The children all died in the car, but Hannah was able to escape the vehicle and she was actually coherent and was telling people, I believe, what he'd done and who he was. Rowan caught fire too, but he got out of the car and he attempted to stop helpers from putting out the fire. So he was a real asshole right to the end. He stabbed himself to death at the scene though, before he could be taken to the hospital or be arrested. Imagine being a
0: first responder at that scene. Like, that must be insane. Like, first of all, you have kids in the car on fire. She's like covered in burns trying to say what's happening. He's trying to stop people from saving the kids and then just stabs himself to death. Like,.
1: Imagine just like get going Traumatic. out, it would have been like 8 or 7.30 in the morning because school usually going starts around 8.30, just, you know, going out, going into your car to go to work and then seeing this happen.
0: Those cool people.
1: So it Hannah is- did survive the initial attack. Um, she was taken to hospital with burns to 97% of her body and she died later that day in hospital. So since the murders, Hannah's family have established a foundation called Small Steps for Hannah, which is in honour of the kids. Um, And the charity says that it aims to put a halt to the incidences and severity of domestic and family violence in Australia. So I know that in a little um, park near where they lived, they've made a um, reserve called Hannah's Place, and it's got a sign, you know, a shade shelter and trees. Um, And they opened it on September 8, 2020, which would have been her 32nd birthday. I was named as so one you know. of Mar- Marie Claire's um, magazine's Women of the Year in December 2020, and this is because the issue of coercive control was kind of brought forward by her death.
0: Yeah. So that is a horrendous one. Like that is would be such a terrible way for them to die. I don't remember – like, I remember we had talked about this, but now that time has passed, I don't remember exactly. Weren't people trying to, like, give her a hard time or were being judgy because she, like – was able to get out of the car or something and like yeah they're like surely you know, you know like
1: why why didn't she try and get the kids out of the car and why didn't she save the she kids did. and i'm like she had burns to 97 percent of her body like i think she i'm pretty sure she was still on fire when she got out of the car so yeah. you know and the car was basically like a bomb yeah, it exploded. I can't even imagine, like you know, if imagine the shock you go going. I know this is not comparable, but you know, if you have like a minor car accident or something, and you 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 feel shocked, yeah. you go into imagine this shock that she would have been feeling with this. You you would she wouldn't have even been able to comprehend what was going on.
0: Yeah, for sure. And mm-hmm. imagine like being someone who's gonna judge a woman who was just lit on fire by her. Yeah partner And is covered in burns to 97% of her body, you're gonna be like, if I was in that situation, like, no. I would have, like, you i you wouldn't you have been able would to know. stop me from getting in the car and getting my kids yeah.
1: out. I'm I'm like, you know. And they're <laughs> fucking high horses, like, never cease to amaze me. Probably the same people who wrote that stuff about Abby Coleman. She definitely knew she was definitely on drugs. <laughs> for
0: sure. <laughs> Everyone's same always a people. warrior
1: when they're behind a keyboard and they don't actually have to say it to anyone's face.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's gross.
1: So they're the main cases I think for today. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot more, but they're some that we picked just to highlight the issue of dads going to be nuts sometimes.
0: Yeah, we got to be fair. We got moms <laughs> who murder. We had to have deadly dads, and I think we we're gonna will...
1: do kids who murder yeah. soon. Maybe. Yeah,
0: eventually we'll do kids. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to think of some original ones that haven't been covered a ton of times by other podcasts so if you guys have any ideas for those let us know um but i think that's really it we've been having some technical difficulties (laughs) this episode with um the server that we use so if anything sounds kind of crazy or it seems like there's audio missing or something i apologize it was acting up today so fingers crossed hope for the best
1: We had some nice reviews this week as well. We're not begging. We're just letting you know about the nice reviews. Um, (laughs) Catherine wrote, I typically loathe podcasts with conversations in them, but the chat between Stephanie and Olivia is clearly not scripted, which you can tell because we always talk over each other, (laughs) (laughs) and is more akin to eavesdropping on friends chit-chat. Who doesn't love that? Not obnoxious at all, and I enjoy learning learning more about what they've been up to in their personal lives. The stories themselves are great as always and well-researched. This is one of the few podcasts I enjoy listening to. I put my earbuds in and listen for 15 to 20 minutes each morning while doing the dishes. So that's lovely.
0: And then I someone listen else to podcast too. I listen <laughs> to them
1: in like small spurts. And I was thinking the other day, I'm a great podcast listener because I listen when I go to sleep. So I have to listen about five times because I fall asleep <laughs> before I hear the whole thing. So I that you're like half gets, the downloads. Yeah, five downloads from me. <laughs> and then Liz wrote, the podcast is pretty good. I enjoy the storytelling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was lovely. Very nice of them. So thanks.
0: Yes. Thank you. We'll just end it there before Craig decides to stop fucking working. Yeah, because Crossy got most of the content this week. So as always, if you haven't left us a review yet and you like the podcast, feel free to leave us a review. I won't beg you, but I'll just suggest it. <laughs> if you don't like the podcast, please don't leave us a review. Just don't listen to it. <laughs> <We're> um, <on. laughs> like we mentioned earlier, we'll have the blog up for this episode with all the pictures and videos and clips and everything you could want. The inquest, that's like 300 pages long. So if you want to learn more about any of them, go to True dot com um our forum is truecrimessociety.com where you could chat with other people and we have been testing posts in our facebook group again so if you were missing the facebook vibe um go ahead and hop over there To we made a backup group because our i'm pretty sure that our original group is just like cursed and blacklisted by facebook (laughs) you can't even like do anything over there without getting in trouble so we made a backup group so if you're not in it give that a search it's called true crime society calling for backup very creative name thought of by me <laughs> and so we're testing it out there it's definitely not going to be like the original group we aren't going to post anything controversial but still you could get your fix if you miss facebook and of course our instagram everything like that check out all that follow everything but otherwise we will see you guys on our next episode